The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and a desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to your coaching, so there's always somebody available to answer your questions and to help you adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, the ITL Coaching and Performance website is itlcoaching.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The agents at Blue Pineapple Travel love to help people plan their travel. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Whether you're looking for relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group inside the United States or outside the United States, they are there to match you to the trip for you. Blue Pineapple Travel will help you curate all the travel information out there to create the exact vacation that you want. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by SlayerX, www.slayerx.com. SlayerX is a sports nutrition company that makes products for athletes, team sports, and anyone that trains or works outdoors. SlayerX was founded by an endurance athlete and University of Georgia food scientist who was unhappy with the choices he was offered on course in long course triathlons. He started making his own mixes and now you can enjoy those same mixes. SlayerX offers differing levels of electrolytes in their hydration products and you can get them with or without calories. You can either take their online test at SlayerX.com or you can be tested in their laboratory to determine the exact amount of liquid and electrolytes that you need to be consuming while racing. In addition to hydration products, SlayerX offers fueling products like their product Diesel, which is available with or without the optimum level of caffeine that is scientifically proven to legal enhance performance while limiting GI upset and diuretic impact. If you're looking for alternative gel, try SlayerX's new Spark Plug, a Pop Rocks-like powder that combines the same electrolytes that are in their other products, encapsulated caffeine, and quickly absorbed carbohydrates. It comes in a plastic tube so it can be carried while running and it will work to enhance and fuel your alertness, general happiness, and performance. Remember, tell them that the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast sent you by using the coupon code PLEASANT2019 at checkout on the website and you'll get 10% off anything that you purchase there. That's SlayerX.com, PLEASANT2019. Test, don't guess with SlayerX. Thanks to all of our sponsors for helping us to bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slayer X. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. My name is Michelle Frank, and I am an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. What did we actually decide that your new title was going to be? There was some pushback on the cool older girl after our last episode, and and somebody I don't suggested think something involves else. me. So I'm trying to think of what it was. I'm going to have to look it up in a little while. So Katie Ferguson, the one who we've interviewed on the podcast before, who suggested that you should be called the cool older girl, offered yet another brilliant suggestion. And I can't remember what it was. I'm going to have to look back and see what it was. But I think it was a bit too flattering for reality. So I'm sure that's not true. Um, so we were just starting to talk about the LA Marathon here. Um, hopefully everybody got the opportunity to listen to my race recap. 
Michelle, what did you think about that hill in mile five? <laughs> so it's mile four. Is it mile Not four? Mile I don't five. know. I, I, <laughs> I, I've, I've mostly wiped it from my memory, save for the awful, terrible feelings of... Yeah, I think I was pretty clear that I told you that you were going to run this hill <laughs> and it was a legitimate hill and you'd spend the next 10 miles wondering if it took too much out of you to finish the race yeah, yeah. and don't discount it just because you're from Atlanta and yeah, it's really yeah. hilly here. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of blew me off. I, 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 I didn't intend to blow you off, but I think it's fair to say that I, that I definitely did not take that advice to heart. Um, you know, and, and I would definitely say, Michelle, that if anybody was going to give me technical advice on the nature of a course that I'd be likely to take, it would be you. I would take yours because I know that you are diligent about such things. Um, but, uh, but yeah, clearly, clearly my, uh, my own prejudices about, about being from Atlanta and hills that are not in Atlanta being small are just, you know, strong, but this might have snapped me out of it. So I appreciate your helping me to get over those, uh, those implicit biases that I have, Michelle. And the good news is that all of our listeners who go out to run the LA Marathon will be <laughs> have more than ample warning about the hill at the beginning of the marathon. That's right. That's right. Well, you did text me afterwards and you said, I don't understand why nobody talks about that. And I said, I'm going to start talking about it. Yeah. Um, I also said, I don't understand why you didn't believe me and that whole spiel too. But, you know. <laughs> I, 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 am, I am more than willing to give over to the fact that Perhaps I did not pay heed as much as I should have, and uh, and I will not make that mistake again, Michelle, when it comes to any marathon that I'm running that, that, that you may have run before. Um, but that's a real hill, and I'm going to find some way to work that into the majority of podcasts for the remainder of the year. I'm just saying. Okay. Don't forget, everybody, the LA Marathon Hill is real. Um, all right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about – so I had two things we want to talk about here. Uh, one to kind of recap a little bit on the marathon Olympic trials um, that were here in Atlanta. Um, had a couple of kind of additional stories that have come out. I want to say, Michelle, do you know of anybody that got out the recap faster than we did? <laughs> George, nobody got the recap out faster than we did because some people weren't even back at the hotel before you released the podcast. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, we got it out Sunday afternoon. Yep. Um, I came up there after the citizens race, as you call it. And I, no, nobody got it out faster than us. But I. plenty of podcasts <laughs> released three and four episodes last week. So I'm kind of glad the Fair. Olympic Trials Marathon is over because each podcast releasing three or four episodes in one week is almost impossible to keep up with. Fair, fair. I totally agree with you on that. Um, and you, you sent a couple of them on my way, which I appreciate that we can certainly talk about. One of the best ones, uh, or at least one of the really good stories that we heard was about Jacob Riley, the guy who finished second in the men's race, coached by Lee Troop, right? Yeah. So what did you think about that guy? <laughs> so what did you think about that guy? Um, I'm really impressed with Jake Riley. I think, you know, he had a great performance last year in Chicago came back from the same Achilles surgery that Galen Rupp had. And I think if you knew who he was and kind of what he'd run in Chicago and who he was coached by, um, he would have been a top 10 pick for sure. Um, I think for most people he was, but to see him come through in second and see the way he and Lee embraced after. And um, my friend from Boulder actually had a beer with Lee right after the race. So uh, he just kind of wanted some quiet time and he's just a humble guy and boulder you know track club and has this whole program going so for him to 
bring Jake all the way through. And now Jake's an Olympian. I mean, he needs to start the Olympics and the Olympics need to happen, but it's a great story. I mean, he gave up a lot of sponsorship opportunities after Chicago. Um, he didn't want to be indebted to one company or one type of sponsorship just because of one good performance. And I think that's really going to pay off for him now because now he plays second at the Olympic trials and he'll probably have a lot more options with, you know, maybe even more zeros at the end of each option. So right on, right on. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So there was kind of a rumor that circulated after he finished, well, after he did so well in Chicago and then didn't have any sponsors going into the Olympic trials. A lot of people said, well, he purposely didn't get sponsors because he wanted to race in the in the Vaporfly or race in the Alpha Fly, and he did end up racing in the Alpha Fly, the free pair that Nike had given everybody, uh, you know, a day or two before. He actually did race in those, um, but he was pretty clear in in the interviews that I listened to with him that it didn't have anything to do with the the Vaporfly or the Alpha Fly specifically, uh, but rather he said, and I like the way he said this. He said we had a formula going into Chicago, and it worked. And, and we didn't want to really alter that formula going to the Olympic trials because we had to incorporate, uh, you know, some brand or, or some different nutritional product or something else like that. He said we, we kind of had it figured out and we didn't really want to be forced to change that, which I, I thought was interesting. Yeah, and I also think that even though, you know, he is an unsponsored elite runner, he has Lee who kind of acts as an agent and also has – you know, an agent slash manager. So he has two people really prominent in the industry, a lot of experience looking out for him. And, um, you know, he said he didn't even really know the numbers. It was just a calculated decision that they came to kind of on his behalf. And I don't think anybody can argue with his decision to remain unsponsored between Chicago and two weeks ago. Um, but it will be interesting to see, you know, who picks him up because I don't think he'll go into the Olympics unsponsored. No, I don't um, think so either. I don't think so either. Yeah. And, and, he, you know, he wore like the Boulder Track Club singlet. He wore a pair of shorts that he had like homemade sewed little things onto so that he could put gels in them and stuff like that, you know. Um, he had a second-hand pair of sunglasses, like a pair of sunglasses that he borrowed from somebody else. Um, he joked on, on the podcast I listened to with him that, that if he tends to buy something, he'll tend to lose it. But then like all these things he doesn't necessarily want to lose, he tends to hang on to never lose them forever <laughs> which yeah, i think a lot said of if he'd gotten a sunglass sponsorship and a 200 dollars pair of sunglasses he would have lost them after the first run but you know he's got these hand-me-downs and right. he'll probably never lose them the rest of his life so exactly exactly um exactly. i also enjoyed listening to him talk about the way that he put the pockets into his shorts mm-hmm. um because i don't know in all of my discussion of you know race apparel uh, running for a women's apparel company, pockets are a huge deal, but you don't ever yeah. hear men talking about being able to access their fuel the way women mm-hmm. <laughs> talk about it before a marathon, like what shorts, what pockets, this and that. So it was cool to, you know, see that there are men out there that are altering their shorts so that they can have good access to their gels. <laughs> right on, right on. And he, he said he did it with like hair bands, right? Um, yes. and, and, and he said, so I've, I've, I've heard men talk about it and I've talked about it certainly with pockets, but, but but I've never heard pros talk about it as much. And he said, right. and, I, and I think he's totally right. He said, you know, a lot of people tape their gels to their bottles. He said, you miss a bottle and, and you know, that's game over. It's like, he, he said that that's too high stakes, particularly right. given all the stuff around the bottles and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, he, I also, yeah, go ahead. Um, I don't know anybody else at his level that actually carries their fuel. Yeah. I mean, do you, have no. you, no. Yeah, so I thought that was also I think that maybe people did for Atlanta if there was one time where you were going to carry it just because the tables and the number of participants was 
such a madhouse. Um, you know, he was smart. He said he skipped that first fluid station that Lee had said, if you're thirsty by mile two, you're in way bigger trouble than just needing a drink at mile two. Right. Um, and then just the comfort of knowing that even if you miss your bottles, you've got gel and you can chase it with water. Uh, I don't know. He seems to have been, their formula seems to have been perfect uh, exactly. for this particular race. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so, and just overall, he seems like, for lack of a better way of saying it, he seems kind of like old school. You know, yeah. he seems just like, you know, he works hard. He, he has suffered through some injuries. He makes his own shorts. He kind of throws on these singlet. I mean, he just seems kind of old school. And I think that that's one thing that, that, um, I mean, he was wearing alpha flies. Yeah. But amidst all the conversations we're having about like technological changes and all that stuff, it's cool to see somebody who, who definitely went out there and won based in large part on the fact that he's just, you know, a really hard worker and, and has been for a while. Um, and he, yeah. and, and, and that he persisted through injury, um, that, you know, this injury that he had for a long time. So, uh, so I do wonder, cool um, he ran for five years for Hanson brothers under mm-hmm. Keith and Kevin. Right. So I do wonder if, you know, what, I mean, you have to give them some credit because he, when he went to, when he moved to Boulder, he was in whatever shape he was in and had whatever five years of, mm-hmm running and training under Hanson's and then kind of joined Lee's group. So I have to wonder if Keith and Kevin kind of wish they had worked harder to keep him there or, you know what I mean? It must be hard to lose an athlete. And then two years later, the guys on the Olympic team. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Hard to say. I mean, they've had other Olympians certainly. So, so, so maybe they just, you know, maybe it's just kind of the way the the Falcons felt when, uh, when Tom Brady left, I don't know, but, um, (laughs) but, but anyway, Patrick's not with us today. So, uh, so I had to make a football reference. So confused by you making a football joke. As well you should be. Um, so um, you mentioned, let's go ahead and talk about this. Well, I was going to say let's go ahead and talk about the marathon and uh, the Olympic marathon and, and how that might be actually be delayed. But the other major thing we're going to be talking about is is coronavirus, COVID-19. So so I guess we can hold off on that one. Um, let's talk about a couple other quick things. Um, first of all, 200,000 fans is what the Atlanta Police Department now says was out there watching. That seemed to be about what you saw? Yeah, I think that my, I've listened to probably 20 race recaps. The consistent um, feedback from the women and men that ran it is that the streets were lined with fans. They never could have imagined anything like it, that coming around the corner, it was basically people, the athletes talk about their ears ringing because yeah, people yeah. were literally screaming for them the entire time. It was yeah, like a yeah. cheer tunnel most people said they had never experienced anything like it. Um, maybe Boston or the New York City Marathon came close to it. Um, so 200,000 people lining Peachtree. I mean, you couldn't, you had, you know, three miles up and back and you couldn't get a spot up at the curb. You had to walk pretty far. There were people yeah. lined up, two or three people deep. So um, I think that the praise for Atlanta Track Club and the way you know, people came in from all over the country and the way locals went out to support the race has been unanimous. And as someone who was there, I would agree with all of it. Um, yeah. yeah, it was too. amazing. Me too. Me too. So. Me too. Me too. Yeah. The, the, yeah. One of the incredible things to me was, um, not only the crowd you're talking about, but Molly Seidel, and I want to say some other person said this as well, that the crowd was so giant and was so vehement that they actually had to control their emotions, that, that part of the challenge of doing well in that race was actually holding themselves together emotionally because the crowd was so awesome and so fantastic. Um, which 
on the one hand, I'm kind of like, wow, that's that's really tough. But on the other hand, I'm like, that's kind of cool too. <laughs> you yeah. Know, like, like, um, like the crowd was so fantastic that pumped up the runners so much that it actually added an additional challenge on top of running the Olympic marathon trials. <laughs> yeah, I think there was a lot of adrenaline that got to the athletes just from the amount of people cheering. Mm-hmm. Uh, mile two, kind of making you feel like you were at mile 24 with only two miles to go when you yeah. hear you know, thousands of people screaming your name and cheering for you. So they had to definitely kind of rein it in and just get used to it because they had that for 18 miles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, never stopped. So and it, and, it, and it makes sense why somebody like Abdi Abi Rahim would do so well in that in that environment, right? I mean, somebody and, and even somebody like Galen Rupp, somebody who's really you know uh, experienced and is able to marshal those sorts of emotions. Whereas a lot of the the sort of upstarts, for lack of a better term, um, might not have been able to handle as well. I mean, clearly Alephine and 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 Molly Seidel. I mean, they did great, um, but it makes sense that like that was maybe a, an aspect of of the race that a lot of people weren't necessarily banking on. Um, I agree. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and they shouldn't have banked on it. Um, I mean, yeah, previous right. trials have not. You know, we haven't seen anything like that for the right. marathon, especially. So, right yeah. on. Yeah, definitely, definitely, very good. Um, you tell me. Do you think we were too hard on Molly Huddle? I don't. Okay. I'm gonna stick with the fact that I don't think. I think she's run a two twenty six marathon twice. I think she can be a top marathoner, but I think I do not think that you know, she is going to be at the world level in the marathon, the way that we've seen her in the 10 K. And I think that coming into this, the past year and a half or two years that she has gone to the marathon has taken away from what she could have capitalized on after Rio in the 10 K to be more, uh, you know, for a world medal, uh, whether it's world championships or Olympic games. So on the track. I think Molly Huddle's got fire in her now. I think she's going to recover, go back to the track. She's stated very clearly that, um, the plan was if she didn't, if she wasn't going to be in top three and she didn't feel good, shut it down at mile 21. She followed the plan. The difference between 21 and 26 miles on that course and the recovery is probably, I mean, night and day. It's an so, I think we're going to see her, you know, hitting the track. I think the bigger question is, uh, when are they going to run a track meet? <laughs> Good you know, question. we've got yeah. way bigger problems than, than, uh, just the track trials right now. So that's, that, that, that's an excellent point. I hadn't thought about that, but you're totally right. I mean, there's definitely a linkage there between, you know, all these folks kind of shut down and, and say, okay, well, I'm going to focus on the track now. Well, they're not going to have a whole lot of sharpening races between now and the Olympic track trials, whenever the Olympic track trials end up being held. So so, yeah, yeah that, I think Stanford already either postponed or canceled. And that's where a lot of people go to get their mm-hmm. trials qualifier. So Molly and Emily Sisson, who also shut down at mile 21, who they trained together, um, who I think would be the one and two for the 10K, at the mm-hmm. trials, track trials in June. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they already have the standard. So mm-hmm. but a lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But. Yeah. No, the, I mean, the NCAA has canceled all of their, their basically all of their events from now until the remainder of the year. Um, and so they've, they've canceled all their spring sports. And so Stanford, I mean, yeah, they tend to have pros at that race, but it's, it's predominantly a collegiate meet. So presumably they're not going to have that meet at all. Right. Um, I, I don't know exactly the way that it works in terms of, of does, could you have like a, a pro only meet at Stanford? Um, or is Stanford literally prohibited by NCAA regulation from having any sort of meet in their facility? I really don't know. Um, but but it definitely would change the nature of that race one way or another. 
and the nature of that. Yeah, I think people go there for the, there's a mental aspect that's a fast track. Mm -hmm. So I think we would see some form of twilight race or something where people can just chase a standard, Mm -hmm. even if, you know, the Stanford invite obviously isn't going to happen as it usually does every year. So, right, right. For sure. I don't think anybody knows. I mean, we could come up with a million different scenarios, but yeah, who knows? You're right, and and a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about here related to COVID-19 is, is kind of a wait-and-see thing. I think, back to Molly Huddle, I'm kind of torn about it because on the one hand, I agree that she hasn't quite run the marathon equivalent of what she's done on the track. Um, Correct. She, she just hasn't quite done that yet, and I still hope that she does. I would like to see her do that. Um, um at the same time, you know, I wonder, you know, you say she should have just stayed on the track for a little bit longer. I always think back to when we interviewed Pete Ray, and he said that Bill Rogers told him that that um, too many people wait too long before they go into the marathon, that they need to go into the marathon when they're at their peak. And so um, did Molly Huddle and her coach and, and all the people around her make this calculated decision that, okay, yeah, you're, you're at your peak right now in, in the 10,000. But really, since your future is in the marathon, how about you go ahead and shift to the marathon now when you're at your best? Um, and yeah, I, w- I wouldn't blame her for that decision. I just don't. I just don't. She just hasn't quite run at the marathon level what she's run at the, the, the 10k level or 10,000 meter level yet. So, and I'd like to see it still. Yeah, it's also interesting that he's taking the complete opposite approach with Emily Sisson, her training partner. Hmm. Um, people call them teammates. I mean, Molly runs for Saucony. Emily, Emily runs for New Balance, but. I don't know if they're teammates as much as they are training partners. They have the same coach um, mm. up in Providence. And he took Emily right when she started having success in the 10K, you know, up to the marathon. And she had an amazing performance. Mm-hmm. So whereas Molly kind of was at that 10K level for a solid four years, mm-hmm. Emily jumped right into it. Right. Um, so now she'll vacillate, you know, from back and forth. And I guess we'll see what happens. But is Molly too far into her career? I don't know. I don't want to undermine a 226 performance twice. <laughs> yeah, no, um, definitely not. Especially and, and, and one a, and of a top the, five performance in a world yeah. marathon major. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess time will tell. I think we have a new, um, a whole new world of elite marathoners for mm-hmm. the United States. Mm-hmm. Is Molly going to be up there? I don't know. I mean, we can probably evaluate better a year or two from now. So. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. Uh, let's talk about Marty Heyer real quick. Uh, we talked about Marty Heyer, and just literally by chance, I happened to mention him because I had seen his name and, and just thought it was kind of a cool story and da-da-da-da. Um, Marty Heyer, it, it came out a day or two after the race that he had actually taken a 18- to 20-second pit stop at about the mile 18 mark. Did you see that? <laughs> um <laughs> I saw that. It's been followed up by all these articles that say, just take time to pee. Just stop in the bathroom. So, yeah, you know, yeah. stopping in the bathroom, you know, the, the porta potty bathroom situation is always an interesting topic for, I think, endurance athletes. Well, for, uh, for, for clarity's sake, and we don't need to go too deeply into it here, he wasn't just <laughs> peeing. <laughs> Thanks, George. Um, so, so, had he just been peeing, it actually might have taken longer than, than 20 seconds. But, he basically said at the 18-mile mark, he said he was in the lead pack, he was feeling great, he was on the race of his life, but he had to go. And so he saw the porta potties and he said he dashed off, he just dashed into it, went as fast as he could, didn't wipe or anything, and just dashed right back out. And he said that, that when he jumped out, he jumped right in front of one of your big picks, Sam Smith. Um, he, he jumped right out back, right in front of Sam Smith, and he said he was... 
and then he dashed off, of course, trying to to make up the time that he lost. And he said he was sure. talking. To, he said he was Scott. talking to Sam Smith after the race, and Scott Sam Smith, Smith was like Scott Smith. Thank you, thank you. He said he was talking to Scott Smith after the race, and Scott Smith was like, "Yeah, you came out of there like a man on a mission, <laughs> like <laughs> just exploded out of the bathroom. You know, it's like like Superman coming out of the the phone booth." But um, right. So so yeah, obviously a story that we didn't want to miss. Um, let's see. Um, one other thing that I did want to talk about. So you and I and most other people that that you and I talk to um have said that that we like the fact that it was so large and we like the fact that so many people were there and by all means let's make it larger let's make 500 men and 500 women um they're actually racing um but one thing that we didn't talk about is the number of people who fell um and so yeah. there was a couple of couple of articles came out this week talking about all the people who fell and and one of the things they pointed to that that led to people perhaps falling down is the fact the races were kind of big thoughts on that I don't know if it was the fact that, yeah, I mean, the races were big, but the streets, this is the only complaint I have heard across the board from everybody, whether they fell or not, where the potholes were horrible. And I think the Atlanta track club did everything that they could to put cones in place, you know, to provide ample warning. But I guess the size of the participants comes into play here because when you have you know, 200 women going out at six minute pace or, you know, 630 pace, 640 pace. These women are used to being in very small groups Mm -hmm. and people were getting tripped up already. People's Mm -hmm. heels were getting, you know, coming out of their shoe. Um, And then to compound that with potholes. I mean, I don't know if you saw pictures of Caitlin Goodman's face. She runs for the Boston Athletic Association. She looks like, I mean, she was literally under a stampede yeah she felt, um, and she I felt think twice that, in the she, yeah, she felt like the, twice in the first mile and the second time she got stepped on a bunch yeah, yeah in, in the technical meeting i'm pretty sure that runners were instructed to just keep going like if you don't stop for the people you know don't stop because then you're going to create a bigger right. backup you're going right. to have tons of people just smashing into you that are right. running so i don't know what the answer to that is um i don't think potholes in the streets of atlanta should be a reason to tighten the standards. Um, I think that if the marathon trials were to be run here again, then that would definitely need to be addressed. But of everything the Atlanta track club did right, you know, there was going to be some fallout somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, So the road being so bad in certain areas, I don't know, you're downtown, you're in a big city, you got hundreds of people running, I don't know. I don't, it's hard to form an opinion on that, whether it was right or wrong. I think if you were stampede on, you know, you probably feel differently than I do. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I would say that's the biggest complaint. Sounds pretty scary. If you're one of the people that fell into a pothole. For sure. Um, You know, but I don't know. What do you think? So, you know, I, I kind of like the way that you said what you just said, that, that potholes are not a potholes in the city of Atlanta are not a reason to, to tighten the standards. Um, And I think that, that, I think that's an. I, I think it's a tragic situation, and I feel bad for the people who fell down because I mean, you know, you're you're so fit and you're so strong, and you're so focused, and, and and then that's how your race ends. It's not that you screw something up; it's that you know something that's really kind of out of your control happens, and and that sucks. Um, so I, I definitely feel for those people. I don't want to minimize what happened to them. Um, but that being said, yeah, I don't, I don't think that that's that's a that's a good reason. I think maybe maybe the takeaway is. 
hey, before the next one, let's make sure that we really, really, you know, get all the potholes filled. I had read that 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 in the weeks leading up to the Olympic trials, they filled like 200 potholes or something like that on the course. Um, and so so a lot of potholes had been filled um, and, and they might have actually been tripping on some of the, the filled spots because, you know, there's there's slight unevenness there and that sort of thing. Um, I don't know. But um, but one way or another. Yeah, I agree with you that I I. I while I feel for those people, I don't think that 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 because there are potholes, that should mean that 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 you you make the the, the races smaller. I, I don't think that's quite a compelling enough reason to make the races smaller. But by all I means, folks, who disagree with us. If, yeah, if that course was ever run again with the same amount of people, you know, all at such a similar pace, mm-hmm. then the ideal would be to run the final loop first, and mm-hmm. over that eight mile loop before they went into that three by six mile loop. They'd be a lot more spread out, mm-hmm. so you wouldn't have you know 200 people approaching the same pothole at once. Mm-hmm. Because when you're in a pack that big, you just can't see what's in front of you. Right. Um, but and if you're, you're in a smaller group, mm-hmm. then I think that would have maybe mitigated the risk. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. Um, I also think you know you, you mentioned you mentioned changing the course and putting like the the long loop at the start, the the extra loop at the start, and then having like the uh, the 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 loops with all the people on them at the end you know we had heard like like des linden said that it was so quiet on that extra loop towards the end there after being yeah. so deafening the whole time that the last two and a half miles of the race there was nobody there um and so yeah i think i think that's a good reason also to switch that two and a half mile add-on to the beginning of the race rather than the end of the race uh and to ensure that that your crowds are, are thickest as the as the race is climaxing um so yeah yeah i agree with you on that um that i don't think is anything that I would blame the Atlanta track club for just because, no. you know, that's just sort of thing no. you just sort of figure out by doing it. Yeah. But, right. uh, but anyway, so yeah. All right. So we, we, we of course wanted to, to go back and like we often do sort of rehash and, and make sure that we, we tied up any loose ends around the, uh, the Olympic trials there. Um, so, as a way of segueing then to talking about COVID-19 and, and we don't want to obviously feed any hysteria about coronavirus. And I'm certain that, that a lot of folks are probably sick of hearing about coronavirus. Have you seen all the memes that are going around? I mean, memes are like 2020 is so good for memes right now. But uh, but there's one that said, gee, thanks. I was really wondering how every company that I've ever given my email address to is approaching COVID-19. <laughs> because Yeah, b- because I saw that. That every- happens to be... One it's of the totally few memes true. that I actually understand. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally. I don't. I got, I got one last night from Stance Socks. Like I really like Stance Socks, like their Star Wars socks and stuff like that, you know. And so Stance felt the need to tell me like what their position was on COVID nineteen. It's like thanks, Stance. Good to know. I, I'll be sure not to order or to order socks from you over the course of the next little while. Um, like there's a car service that that my wife and I use when we were going to the airport one time. They sent me their COVID nineteen policy and ideas. It's like all right, thanks. If I ever use so, your car service again, I'll keep that in mind. I'd um, rather have these super literal policies of what the companies <laughs> are doing about COVID than all the memes that I don't understand because I just can't do memes. Fair. All right. Very good. Fair. Well, let's talk then about, about COVID-19 and, and we're not going to talk too much about, about like what it is and all that sort of thing. I think everybody probably is excited to hear about that, but, but we do want to talk about uh, the effect it's had on the endurance sporting community at large because there has been an effect and it's affected both you and me very directly as a matter of fact. So, um, uh, since we're just talking about the Olympic marathon trials, the Olympic marathon, let's, I guess we can talk about that, right? You think the Olympic marathon is going to happen? Put it out there right now, Michelle. 
it's that's so hard. I can't, if they had to make a call right now, I think that they seem to be the international Olympic committee. The talk seems to be about postponing the Olympics a year or two, Mm. um, which (coughs) would probably be the most reasonable thing to do. But I don't know that we know enough about the virus to know what is, what is, what is going to be at the end of July and early August. Um, if the scientists don't know what's going to happen, you know, once the weather warms up and the doctors don't even know what we're really dealing with right now, I'm not sure that you or I are in a place to call what's going to happen with the Olympics and the Olympic marathon, especially. Um, but I am super curious and, and do hope that if the Olympics is, um, you know, postponed that it's postponed and not canceled because as a Boston participant this year, I'm definitely relieved that they postponed the race and didn't cancel it. And also, you know, curious if USATF plans to, and they should, you know, still send the top three because the marathon is one of the fewer sports where the Olympic team has already been decided. Mm -hmm. Um, If the track trials don't go off in June because of COVID, then if the Olympics are postponed a year or two, then they can just take that from those trials. But I would hope that the women and men that qualified in Atlanta two weeks ago, no matter when the 2000 and quote 20 Olympics take place would get the opportunity to represent the country. So, um, I don't know. I don't know whether it's going to happen. You don't know. I, (laughs) I hope so too. I, I I can't, I say that I can't imagine, but I kind of can because sometimes government bodies can be so deaf to the concerns of, of the, the, the rank and file inside their sport. I can't imagine that, that USATF would say, oh, well, no, we're just going to run a whole nother Olympic trials or we're just going to name other people to the Olympic marathon team and just ignore what happened in Atlanta on February 29th of 2020. I just cannot imagine that happening. Um, and so so even if the if the games aren't until 2021 or even – I've heard people floating that they might not be till 2022, which just seems, seems crazy. Yeah, they, to me. Well, but, they said a year or two. So it would so, be held yeah. in the same year as the Winter Olympics. Yeah. Just yeah. different seats. So. So, which, which is the way the Olympics used to always happen back in the day, anyway. So until 1994, right. anyway. So, but, 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 yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. You know, the, the Olympic marathon itself has already had a little bit of upheaval. It was moved from Tokyo to, you know, Sapporo, 500 miles north because of the weather. They wanted to make it cooler. Um, and they didn't really alert anybody in Tokyo or Sapporo that that was going to be happening until they had basically announced it. Um, so anyway, um, so there's already been a little bit of disarray there, but, but we'll, we'll, we'll end up seeing what happens with that. But I think you're totally right that, that we can kind of say, okay, this is where we are right now. And we don't really know, uh, where we're going to be in a month or in two months or, you know, whether the, the quarantining and self quarantining that's going on in, um, in Europe and in the United States is, is going to make any difference. Um, and, and exactly what the difference is going to make is. Um, so with that in mind, then, like you just said, Boston was postponed. You were supposed Boston. to run Boston. I was supposed to run Boston. How you feeling? Michelle? Yeah, I think I'm glad that they went ahead and announced it. Um, mm-hmm. had some pretty hard workouts last week, so maybe a week ago would have been better, mm-hmm. but I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm so, glad it's so, says the girl who ran out and ran two and a half hours today, despite the fact that it's already been canceled. But keep going. Keep talking. Yeah. Today was like my heart and mind was like, yeah, let's go run the full loop. I can just do it for fun. 16 miles in the mountain. And my body was like, this was a really bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> so um going to probably shift into some type of more maintenance mode because now I have a September marathon to train for. But I think it was prudent to 
not run the race in April, to go ahead and make the decision, Boston Athletic Association, the mayor of Boston, um, and I'm thrilled that they are moving into September. I'm even more thrilled that it works with my schedule. Right um, there's some Jewish holidays in that month that always seem to affect when and where I can race. So I was a little bit nervous about that, but it looks like it was, you know, a date where most people are able to make the adjustment mm -hmm. unless of course you're you and supposed to run Berlin <laughs> two weeks later, and then you have to make a decision. And, and, um, and, I, and I have an event to run that weekend. So, right. so yeah, so it doesn't, so it doesn't work for me actually, but let's keep talking about you. We'll talk about me in a second. Um, so, so this actually is a better date for you just in terms of training and your life stress. Um, yes. you know, given the fact that April 15th and March 15th is corporate tax deadline, April 15th is, is individual tax deadlines. April 20th is when the race is supposed to be, but Hey, the race is now not until September 14th. You're yeah, going to be so, like sleeping in and, and no stress. Don't you just kind of just take the whole year off until like, like February anyway? I'm just kidding. I mean, you didn't seem to indicate that I could take the whole year <laughs> off just because the race was postponed, but, uh, I'm a little uh, bit nervous about, um, summer long runs Yeah. in yeah. the heat. Yeah. So I guess, um, but for right now I would say, uh, the work life running balance, it's almost a relief mm -hmm. to, because not knowing was very difficult, even I though agree. it was only, what, maybe a, seven days of uncertainty. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess ever since they canceled the Tokyo Marathon. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Ever yeah. since. Yeah. So it's been a, you know, and then London said they weren't going to cancel, um, that they were going to run it as planned because people were going to race in the streets anyway. And London postponed also. It's a few weeks after Boston. Um, and I liked October the Boston 4th. mayor's mm -hmm. a point in the press conference of, do not come and run the course. We're going to give you the opportunity in September. The roads are not going to be closed on April 20th. We are not going to have any police officers out there. It'll be very dangerous. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and they're also going to pass a holiday mm -hmm. so that schools are closed on Monday, yeah. September yeah. 14th, so that the buses are available, mm -hmm. you know, to transport to the start line. I mean, I feel like if any city can come together politically and make some type of, <laughs> you know, bipartisan amendment really quickly for a new holiday on this random Monday in the calendar year, it's Boston for the marathon. Yep. yep. Clearly. <laughs> um, so I'm actually curious if people are going to try to do the five out of six world marathon majors that are now going to happen between September and November. Yeah. Um, like, are there going to be globe trotting people that just go everywhere? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either. I, I mean, I guess, I guess we'll find out. You know, you so several things in what you just said that I want to talk about. First of all, summer long runs. Since basically everybody's doing a fall marathon now. Since like you know, you texted me on Tuesday and you said, "I think you're going to look back on on this year and be, feel really fortunate that you got to do a spring marathon." And I think you're right about that. Um, yeah. You know that 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 LA just kind of squeezed it in there and and. That's been getting a lot of attention, by the way. Like all these people are saying, "Well, LA did their marathon. Why not Boston?" It's, not such good attention. <laughs> yeah, that's not. Yeah, that's that's a. That's not so great for LA. But B, that's not really a good argument. Um, so, uh, you know, Disneyland closed is is now closed. You know, and, and my family went to Disneyland the day of the marathon and the days prior to the marathon. So, needless to say, we're, we're self quarantining, which is the reason, by the way, that that Michelle and I are recording this on Skype rather than having her come inside my house. Um, because I don't want to make you a carrier, Michelle. You're welcome. <laughs> Hold on. Self-quarantine? I'm sorry. 
were we not in the parking lot this morning? Yeah, but did you did you see that I was maintaining a a proper social distance? Did you see that I didn't even dare come close to, to car to your car? Good. <laughs> Getting I'm glad. Car. Right on. I think that's a good thing. Right on. Very yeah. good. So. Um, but anyway, so 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 that being said, so I can't even remember exactly what the point I was trying to make there was, but um, but oh, I remember what I was going to say. So everybody's now going to be doing a fall marathon, and so yeah, summer long runs kind of suck. But like everybody's going to be doing them, like every marathoner you know is going to be doing summer long runs, and that's that's actually kind of cool. It, f- it feels like a very like communal thing to me. You're making a really, really weird face to me. Are you? Yeah. No. No. no don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I, I was like. <laughs> it's going to be com- 84 degrees at 5:30 in the morning. <laughs> July and August, I, and I don't think I'm going to care that everybody else is doing a long run. It's going to suck. All right, all right, point taken. So I, I, I will grant that I was like chief complainer about how hot it was this past summer when I was like struggling through all those long runs and everything. And so so you can point back on to the Ides of March and say, George, remember the Ides of March when you said these summer long runs are going to be so fantastic because everybody was doing them? Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying it might be kind of a cool communal thing that, that we end up having this summer. It might be. We, we can could, reassess this in – like 180 days. All right, cool. I look forward to that. I look forward to that. So like you said, <laughs> London also shifted to, uh, to to October 4th. Berlin is still scheduled for the 27th of September, of course. Um, Chicago is still on the 11th of, uh, of, of October. Um, and so, yeah, all those world marathon majors literally jammed into within a month of one another. And then New York is a month after that in November. Um, so tell me this, though, and you mentioned this, and, and this is something I saw in myself, and this is something I saw in you just in the conversations that you and I were having via text and email. As soon as they started to say, or as soon as it started to appear evident that this race might not happen, what'd that do to your psychology? Um, I don't know. Are you psychoanalyzing? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I think I know what I your answer it, is, and I think it's similar to say, mine, and I think it's similar to a lot of people who are listening to us. I would say that it made it, um, you know, it made the realism of the situation, the level of fear and anxiety. And I don't know if this is where you were going, but once they start canceling things, you know, once the NBA shuts down and once the NCAA pulls its season um, and once Boston, which has never, ever not run its race, um, even through Great Depression and wars and everything, once they, you know, make an adjustment to the to the race. I mean, it's it's scary in its own way. Hmm. Um, I thought that it was as much as I didn't want the postponement or especially the cancellation, I thought that it was prudent to not run it in April. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that I'm both fearful of the situation and what's going to happen, but also relieved that people are taking the steps that are necessary as prevention. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one thing people are, are failing, you know, to, to understand is that, canceling school and canceling the NBA and stopping the NCAA season and moving Boston and London. These are all preventatory actions um, in order to, you know, I think, quote unquote, flatten the curve, so to speak, instead of being reactions, because if we're all reacting, we're way too late. Right. Um, And these things only work. The preventatory actions only work if we all or the majority of us do them. Right. Um, yeah, so, I, I totally agree. Yeah, I I, I think that the, the um, and you answered that in a totally different way than I thought you were going to, and that's cool though. Yeah, but, what did you? Where were you going? <laughs> give me a second to respond to what you just said, and then I'm gonna like completely <laughs> lay the breadcrumbs to take you where I where I want you to go. Um, okay. But, but 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 my my I I agree with you, and I think that that um 
when when policymakers are only reactive, we tend to get mad and we tend to say, why aren't you more preemptive? Why aren't you more proactive? Why didn't you see this coming and all that sort of thing? And then when they are proactive and preemptive, which is what's happening now, we tend to get annoyed by that because we say, oh, you're overreacting to these sorts of things. Um, and so so I, I do think it's when it comes to, to canceling races and all that sort of thing, you, you have to understand that it's, it's, it's preemptive, it's preventative. It has nothing to do with the death rate. It has to do with trying to keep too many people from getting sick all at one time and, and thereby overwhelming our, our health care system. Did you know, Michelle, that we have less than a million hospital beds in this country? We're a country of 320 million people, and we have only about 925,000 hospital beds in this country. I have two out of three kids who don't even get the flu without needing to be hospitalized. I have an almost 14-year-old and have never made it through a winter without at least one, if not a few, hospital stays. So I have a lot scarier statistics than the fact that we only have a million hospital beds running through my head right now. Fair, fair. So. And, and, <laughs> and, and it's important to keep in mind, too, when it comes to, to COVID-19, it's it's additive. It's not like it's not like oh nobody's going to get any other illness. People are only going to get COVID nineteen. You know nobody's going to get cancer. Nobody's going to get the flu. Nobody's going to get get any other you know serious illness in the United States for the next little while. Everybody's only going to get COVID. No no no. It's in addition to all those things that everybody normally is already getting. And so a lot of those nine hundred twenty five thousand beds are already going to be taken up by just the regular diseases you expect people to get in a run of the mill spring. Um, it's well, additive. I know here it's in additive. Atlanta, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta <laughs> sent out a memorandum on Friday that all elective surgeries are to be canceled. Mm-hmm. They, you know, that takes OR beds and recovery beds. They're trying to clear the ICU as soon as they can. Right. Um, but the one thing, you know, we have an ITL member who's a who's a physician in the ER at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, and she said even though it's additive, flu and all the other things that they're treating, they know what to do with that. Like they right. know what is, you know, a symptom, what is, what is going to happen. They don't know what to do with COVID-19. Right. Um, so yeah, I think it's pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now the, the, the thing that I was expecting you to say, and I want to circle back around to some of the other things around cancellation, that sort of thing. The thing that I was expecting you to say around COVID-19 was, was, you know, Boston was not the very first thing to cancel. Other things were canceling. They canceled the, the, the St. Patrick's Day parade, all that sort of thing. They canceled the Tokyo uh, Marathon. And so when so I was set to run Tokyo, as everybody knows, right? But, but Tokyo was kind of canceled out of the blue. And so I was motivated. I was looking forward to it. I was doing my workouts. I was having this real good training, and it was canceled, right? Right. Whereas in, in, with Boston, and you and I both being on the Boston roster, there was this gray period. Where it's like, yeah. is it going to be canceled? Is it not going to be canceled? And for me, and and I, I granted, I was coming out of another marathon this past week. But for me, not knowing whether it was going to be canceled or not just completely blew my my motivation out of the water. Like there was no motivation whatsoever for me to try and, and get myself back together in order to be able to run Boston because I didn't know if it was going to happen. And that sort of uncertainty just completely, you know, submarined any sort of motivation that I had. I mean, is that the way it was for you? Is that the way it looked like it was for me based on my workouts the past Not week? Not based on your workouts, but based on what you were saying. Because you literally, you were literally saying things to me like, 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 I don't know why I'm doing this workout. When I'm probably not going to be able to run the race anyway. I kind of feel like, but I did it. Guess. So, but you did do it, which is exactly the thing you should have done. I'm not criticizing you. All I'm yeah, trying to I, say is that, that, that I, I feel like saying. that was a, I feel like yeah. that was a very common, common thing for a lot of people. And I'm just trying to say that that, I, it's yeah, all common. 
I think my mind went there, but you also made a comment in a message that said, as soon as you stop training and then they actually <laughs> have the race, you're going to be so mad at yourself, right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I sort of just took that with me. Mm -hmm. Um, for the week. And then, yeah, I mean, once it was canceled, I mean, I think I was like, yeah, I'm sleeping in, mm -hmm. I'm taking two days a week off. Mm -hmm. Can I do what I want? You mm -hmm. know, but, uh, right. I don't know. I think everybody will have to find some common ground, switch into some type of, you know, I know people registered for Providence. It's two weeks later. Um, I don't, I just don't think anybody should be registering for anything right now. Cause I think we're just going to see a continuation of cancellations yeah. up until the point you know, where it's kind of safe to resume all types of mass gatherings. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I would say it affected me, but I did what I had to do for mm -hmm. then. And hopefully the workouts will change. So they and will. will. <laughs> they are. So, so, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and, and, and mine change as well. Um, you know, it's not just us. Elliot Kipchoge put out on Twitter when because, uh, of course, he was supposed to have this this huge showdown with uh with yeah with Kenanisa Bekele in in London you know Kenanisa Bekele only, ran only a few seconds slower than his world record and two of them were supposed to be facing off against one another in the London Marathon people were hyping it as like the the greatest marathon showdown of the past decade and all that sort of thing at least on the men's side um and so he tweeted afterwards it is unfortunate news that the London Marathon has been postponed, but I fully respect the decision made by the organization as safeguarding the health of the, of the world always takes our top priority. To the thousands of runners who, with me, have devoted the last months of our lives towards this goal, I would like to say, be proud of the work you have put into this journey. Keep smiling and seek your next goal on the horizon to continue running in a smooth and positive way. Um, yes, but I also think that didn't Kenya already ban travel before mm -hmm. london postponed i mean we have, we already yeah. knew that the chances of that kipchoge bekele showdown were possibly not going to happen because i don't think him getting to london for the marathon was going to override kenya's decision to not let any of their athletes travel out of the country we'll never but, know yeah yeah we'll, we'll never, never know. know yeah so. um so yeah I, I so do you think tell me this october 4th it's going to be what two months less than two months after when the Olympic marathon is currently scheduled to be. Do you think that that Bekele and or um, uh, Kipchoge are going to circle back only two months later after the Olympic marathon to try and run London? It's going to be an interesting question, you know, for all of the elite runners because running the Olympics and all of the options for what would have been a spring marathon and a fall marathon payday, you know, people are really going to have to pick and choose and. Yeah. For the people, the Olympics isn't a great payday for anybody. Mm -hmm. um, so if you were going to, you know, run London and then go to the Olympics and then run Berlin, that's one thing. But now if you're going to have to choose between <coughs> Olympics, Berlin, London, do one of the yeah. three, do two of the three, it's a pretty difficult decision. And I don't think we're going to see any type of 221 showdown, sorry, 201 showdown, mm -hmm. you know, the way that we might have um, if London had gone off as planned this spring. Mm -hmm. But I think we'll see it eventually. I don't think either of them are, you know, this is going to be my last race. And um, it's just going to be an interesting year the way it plays out. I do wonder if we will see some Olympians actually forego the Olympics because they won't have been able to pick up that appearance fee at Boston and or London. Right. And they just might not be able to afford to run the Olympics when yeah. they actually need to be fit, really fit for a fall marathon. 
So it's going to be interesting how that all plays out. Um, I'm sure that whenever we see Kipchoge race, Kipchoge race, it'll be awesome. <laughs> it's just not going to be what we all thought it would be in London. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree. I mean, just to, just to be clear, you have the Olympic marathon in the first week of August. You have Boston on September 14th. You have uh, uh, Berlin on September 27th. You have London on October 4th. You have uh, you have. Chicago on October 11th, and then you have uh, New York City on something like November 3rd. Um, and so that's that first weekend of November, uh, right before the election. So <laughs> I'm actually curious. Des Linden was going to run Boston, mm-hmm. and you know, following up, kind of double back after her fourth place finish at the marathon trials two weeks mm-hmm. ago, and then she had committed to New York in the fall. She said so. It'll be interesting to see now since yeah. if she was going to. Instead of the marathon trials Boston double, she'll do a Boston New York City double. Hmm. Um, so we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, um, for sure, it's definitely going to influence the, the the pro fields in that race, and it's definitely going to thereby influence the races, the way that those races unfold. I can guarantee guarantee that Elliot Kipchoge is going to run the Olympic marathon. That's about it, assuming that it happens in because August. Because he's such a country man. No, because like, he's such a history man. Because because okay. because he's so he's so into. You know, why, you know, I, I want to make history. I'm not worried about whether the record counts, all that sort of thing. I think right. that, that I, I, I am certain that he wants to be a, a two-time Olympic marathon champion. Him and a Bebby Bikila would be the only people ever to be that. Um, and I'm certain that, that he has that in the front of his mind. Um, That's a great point. And that comes first. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. So amidst all the other uncertainty, if they do have the Olympic marathon in August, then, then I, I can tell you he will be on the starting line. I, I feel very confident about that. Hey, you know what we should also talk about? Cycling. What? <laughs> cycling. Cycling, just like every other pro sport, or, or has, has been affected by, by the, the COVID-19 shutdown. So um, something you will appreciate, though. So uh, the UCI, which is the international governing body of all of cycling, has canceled all events through April 3rd. Uh, USA Cycling, which is the governing body for cycling here in the United States, has canceled all events through April 15th. Um, and that means some some pretty big events are are, are basically being canceled. Uh, Strada Bianca was supposed to be last weekend, this big one day race. Milan San Remo, uh, which is a, a super long and super old classic, which has been run something like 130 times. Um, they're saying it's going to be postponed. Uh, the mini, mini tour Terreno Adriatico is. They're saying that's going to be postponed. Um, the Giro d'Italia. So. Michelle, you will appreciate there are three grand tours in cycling, the Tour de France, the Tour of Spain, and the Tour of Italy. The first one in the year uh, is the Tour of Italy, the Giro d'Italia. It was supposed to start on May 9th, and they have already said, we're not going to be holding it the way that we thought we were going to be holding it. Um, I mean, would any cyclist step step ride anywhere near Italy right now? I mean, would anybody want to go to Italy? Yeah, well, and, and, and Italy won't let it happen. <laughs> and so, well, I mean, it, it, Italy is just straight shut down at this point. I mean, they, they are they are capital Q quarantining, and, it, and it's required. It's not like the lowercase Q self-quarantining that we have going on in the United States right now. And so, so yeah, um, uh, the Giro d'Italia, it was supposed to actually start in, in Hungary. It was supposed to start in Budapest. Um, the Grand Tours like to start in various different places. A few years ago, the Giro d'Italia actually started in Israel. Um, but um, they were they were starting it in Hungary, and Hungary basically said, hey, you can't start here. 
Um, and so with that, the Giro said, you know what? We have to kind of retool this whole thing. All of these these classic cycling races, again, they've been around for 100 years or more, a lot of them. Um, they're all saying that they're going to, to, to reschedule, but we'll see. Um, the Tour of Flanders is uh, my favorite race of the year. It's supposed to be on October 5th, which is only two days after uh, supposedly races are going to be allowed again. Um, probably not going to happen. Uh, Perry Roubaix, which is so, the so-called queen of the classics, um, it's supposed to be a week after that on the 12th of April. Um, it's probably not going to happen either. Um, but we'll, we'll kind of see how things shape up over the course of the next short while here. Um, all right, let's talk about the NCAA. NCAA has also canceled Wait. a whole bunch of stuff. Go ahead. I was going to ask about Iron Man. So they... Iron Man. Well, so I have Iron Man on my list too. So while, while we're talking about th- sports that you don't do, you want to go ahead and talk about Iron Man as well? <laughs> First of all, I don't do Iron Man, but I follow it very closely. You do. You do. That's fair. <laughs> so, Iron, so Iron Man is actually sort of an interesting thing. Like, like They're um, kind of in the middle, right? Yeah, and and Iron Man, it's such a massive company. It's such a such a huge company um, that that the way that the Iron Man business model works is it's this huge multinational corporation, but they buy up all of these local races and they pretty much keep a lot of the same infrastructure and and directorships in place in those local races. And so it's a very confederated company. It's very much um, you know you have the the central Iron Man that does branding and all that sort of thing. Right. But then every individual race gets to kind of make its own decisions about it. And so, given that, um, you know, they they have sort of the typical stuff on their page about you know make sure you're practicing safe hygiene and all that sort of thing. But then they also That's list kind of what's going on. And so you have the Ironman 70.3 Punta del Este, which is in Uruguay, that was postponed. 70.3 Oceanside in California postponed. 70.3 and full Ironman Texas, those are both postponed. Ironman South Africa is postponed. Ironman 70.3 Greece is postponed. The Super Seal Triathlon was actually canceled outright. Uh, 70.3. So has, has Ironman run a race since last weekend? No. Um, Today's so, March fifteenth, so we mm-hmm. had last weekend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then, everything from now forward is kind of in limbo. Yeah, yeah. So Puerto Rico is postponed. Desaru Coast, which is in Malaysia, is postponed. Uh, Divo is postponed, um, which is uh, in the Philippines. Um, uh, Luzhou is postponed, which is in China. Um, uh, Taiwan is postponed, both the full Ironman and the seventy point three, uh, and that's about as far out as they have gone at this point. Um, and so uh, they actually postponed it, and they actually announced it's going to be on September thirteenth. That's going to be Ironman Taiwan. So, um, so yeah, some of them are postponed, and they've actually announced the date. Some of them haven't, but but yeah, it's sort of the ones that are in the near future, the ones that are over the course of the next month or so. All of those have either been canceled or or at least postponed. Um, and um, so you have a lot of people who are training throughout the winter, trying to hang on to to yeah. their fitness there. That who, whose big target races have been postponed here. Um, Ironman Texas, I believe, is the North American Ironman Championship. Ironman South Africa is the African Championships, and so those are two pretty big races on the the Ironman uh, calendar that have been postponed here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So so no surprise there, I don't suppose. Um, but yeah. Um, glad to see them make that call. Yeah, yeah, um, give, given kind of where we are. Um, let's talk about the NCAA. I mentioned that a second ago. Uh, NCAA canceled, as, as most people know, March Madness, the basketball tournament. They also canceled the rest of their winter sports, and so that's like uh, gymnastics and swimming and diving. Um, they, they canceled all those championships as well, indoor track. 
Um, and then they also canceled all their spring seasons, basically. And so that's yep. outdoor track, that's baseball, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And right now, they, they also, in addition, they said all recruiting activities, like bringing people onto campus and trying to convince them to, to go cease. to your school, has to cease until at least April 15th, they said. And so no recruiting can actually happen right now either. Um, and right now, the NCAA is supposedly discussing Get, granting athletes additional eligibility since they're going to be missing some of their seasons, particularly like seniors who uh, right. were, were looking to take part in NCAA championships or have their big senior season here are not able to have it because the seasons have been canceled. Now, real clear before I let Michelle say what she's going to say here about this because I want to hear what she has to say about it. To, to, to make it clear to those who don't follow NCAA rules who don't really understand how it works, the college rules here in the United States that, that – Basically, they say you have five years to do four years worth of eligibility. Um, and the one year that you say, okay, I'm injured this year, or I don't want to take this year, that's called your so-called redshirt year. But you only have a total of five years to do four years worth of eligibility. And it makes for a very weird, a much different feeling than it does once you come out of college. And I can say that as somebody who was in college and came out of college because you feel very limited when you're in college. You only have four chances to really do well. You only have four ACC championships. You only have four NCAA championships. You only have four chances to do it. The Boston Marathon, even if it had been canceled outright this year, it's going to happen next year and the year after and the year after. And you can try and requalify and try and do it again. You're not limited in the number of times that you can do the Boston Marathon, whereas the NCAAs, you're limited in the number of times you can do it. You can only do it four times over the course of five years. And so what the NCAA is talking about now is because they canceled one of those four times for a lot of people, potentially giving athletes – uh, student athletes an additional year of eligibility during which they can compete in their sports. And so that would mean they would have six years worth of eligibility and five opportunities or four to five opportunities to do these things. What do you think about that? Yeah. And it's an additional year of eligibility. You don't have to answer, enter the transfer pool. So mm -hmm. I think everyone can get an additional year. If they transfer, they do four years at a school and then go start a graduate program somewhere else. Right. Mm -hmm. But this is you could stay where you are and possibly get a fifth year. Um, I think it's a great concession. I don't think that it's going to work for a majority of the athletes that are scheduled to graduate this spring. Mm -hmm. um, as a former Division One athlete, you know, I just I cannot even imagine the devastation of waking up and and being told that your season's over. Um, if you're Kyla Ross or Maggie Nichols and you're 21 and you've spent you know 20 years training for gymnastics multiple hours per week. And then one day it's just over. Um, you didn't even get a chance to, to finish it out. That being said, I think it's the right decision, but I think it's okay to be, you know, sad or devastated. Um, my big concern with the, you know, sports where people typically go on for professional contracts like track and field, um, or triathlon is that, they miss out on performance opportunities of an NCAA indoor season and an outdoor season, which can kind of make or break a lot of the deals that people are offered coming out of college. Mm -hmm. um, so whereas maybe a collegiate gymnast doesn't have another year in them, I think you're more likely if the NCAA does extend that fifth year as a concession for what's happening with COVID-19, I think you will see um, you know, maybe a bunch of people that were slated to graduate in the spring enter a one-year master's program so they can run that fifth year, have a chance at that performance, um, you know, and a chance at that professional contract. I think it'll be interesting the way it all plays out. Mm -hmm. For sure. But. 
For sure. I mean, for schools, for colleges that are that are on semesters, we're already beyond midterm, um, and so so. Pretty much anybody who was planning to graduate this spring had already made those plans to graduate this spring and probably already submitted their like application for graduation and all the various things oh, that sure. are required, you know? Um, I mean, I know that like when I was in my fourth year uh, in, of college, I mean, by this point, I was like, you know, I was eyeing the job market and all that sort of thing. And so if I was yeah, then told that the sport was canceled, <laughs> yeah, I'd already bought the cap and gown. Exactly. And so if I was then told that my sport was canceled, I was not going to have a chance to compete in another ACC championship. But if I waited a whole year and either started a graduate program or, or just delayed my graduation by a year, I would. I, I don't know what I would have done. But I, but I definitely know that that would have been very unsettling and very rattling. I mean, you're, you're already yeah, have mean- made plans to move on with the rest of your life. I think mentally it's it's a really tough place to be. Mm-hmm. A lot of these seniors are done. You know, they're yeah. pushing really hard for a final push, a final outdoor track season, go big or go home. And now they don't have it. Do they want to even stick around another year? If they have the opportunity, does it look like they don't love their sport or their team if they choose not to take the opportunity? Right. I think it'll be interesting to see who does what. I mean, I'm sure everybody will come to their own conclusion at some point, but I guess we really have to wait for the NCAA um, to, you know, make a blanket statement about what they are or are not going to do for the seniors that don't get to finish out their senior year in their sports. Right. And and we're only talking, by the way, about about seniors in college, seniors in high school. That's a bummer. Um, you know, I, I, there, there, there's a senior in high school that I know that's the, the son of one of my college teammates who I follow on Strava. And he posted something the other day after the Georgia State High School Association, um, which governs sports here in the state of Georgia, basically said that all spring sports are canceled. Um, he posted that he went out for a run and he, and he said something to the effect of, I'm just really kind of sad. Um, which, which you can totally imagine for him. Now he's already committed next year. And so the recruiting ban doesn't, doesn't affect him. Um, but you know, this is a senior in high school who's looking forward to running state championships, maybe even trying to win a state championship and he's not going to have that opportunity. And there's, there's no extending it for high school kids. Um, you know, that, that, that's just gone. Um, and so, so for the rest of his life, he's going to look, have to look back and say, yeah, you know, I, high school, I would have been state champion. Maybe, I don't know, but we ended up not having it because of COVID-19. Um, which I feel for those folks a lot. Yeah, I think uh, there's going to be ramifications of this uh, financially, whether it's, you know, people who lost millions in the stock market. So mm-hmm. people who already had money. Um, and then there's also going to be ramifications for maybe missed scholarship opportunities for the high school mm-hmm. students who don't get to finish out their indoor and outdoor track seasons. Um, you know, financial sc- opportunities that were never actually extended to them and, they just don't have the history of performances that are going to afford them those opportunities. But if they had had a great senior season, then they might have, right. you know, the end of the year over the summer, figured out a situation where they could run in college and get a scholarship. So, right. Right. yeah, right. I think the fallout's everywhere from this. Um, I think so, too. I think so, too. All right. So that being said, let's wrap up with one quick thing here. So given the fact that there's so many emotions around this and, and, and all that sort of thing, and, and both you and I have had races canceled slash postponed on us here, um, there was something that I happened across the other day that a few people shared on Facebook that I did want to share here as well. And that I know that you read it too, Michelle, and you appreciate it, but it was a piece by a race director named John LaCroix. And I don't know John LaCroix, but um, he wrote a piece on his blog, humanpotentialrunning.com, called Pandemics, Math Gatherings, and the Challenges of Our RDs. Um, and he basically wrote about, about the situation um, 
uh, that race directors are facing given the fact that they're having to cancel races that they didn't even necessarily want to cancel. And, and this is kind of the way he describes it. Real quick, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I am going to read a couple parts of it to you. Um, he said, I want to once again ask you to imagine the following scenario. Your employer asks you to organize a major event for the company with a due date of about a year out. For the entire year, you work diligently on countless pieces of logistics and tirelessly work to knock the event out of the park. Along the way, you get paid for your time and effort on a bi-weekly basis. Two weeks out from your event, your employer decides it's no longer going forward with it. Your employer, having canceled the event, tells you this, quote, We appreciate your hard work so very much, but since we're no longer hosting the event, we're going to have to ask you to refund us all the money we've paid you over the last year. You know, since the event you've been working on isn't happening now, unquote. How would you feel? Would you be pissed? Would you refund your wages? I'm willing to guess that most of you would swiftly move on from this employer and most likely that very day. I once again bring this hypothetical to your attention because we've entered uncharted territory. Your patience, understanding, and grace is required at the utmost. And of course, what he's referring to there is is the way that a lot of us who have had races on us canceled have gotten annoyed by the fact that we don't have our race entry fees then refunded to us. Um, and I know that I've complained a little bit about that. I haven't complained about it on the podcast, I don't think, but I have complained about it in other venues that, that you know the race gets canceled. Well, at least give me something back. And 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 I've seen where where people say, well, the money's already been spent. Um, right. and I, I, I can appreciate that, but still at the same time, I, I, I want some sort of indication. I want something from, from the race director that shows that they understand that this is a crappy situation for me. And I think the thing that, that, that really stood out to me about this particular piece here, and I'm not going to read the rest of it, um, two things about it. Number one, it encouraged you to be a little bit more empathic with the race directors. That, that most of them are people who didn't, didn't want to cancel the race either. They've worked super hard on it, and the last thing they wanted to do was cancel the race. And, and I can appreciate that and put myself in their shoes a little bit better. The second thing is that setting up the metaphor that way, that communicated it well to me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the idea of, 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 okay, your employer pays you and you pay for this event, and then your employer says, hey, we're not going to have the event. Now you need to give us back all the money that you, you already gave us. Yeah, I wouldn't like that either. Um, and, and setting it up that way and playing out the metaphor that way, um, that spoke to me and, and definitely helped to, to boost my empathy. Um, what do you think, Michelle? I agree with that a hundred percent. I think, um, people just don't realize the logistical planning and financial outlay that race directors have to undertake, you know, way before we even get to race day. Um, I thought the analogy was great. There's a lot of pushback. Umstead 100 canceled their race, which, mm, you know, know I think was, it's a 12 and a half mile loop race. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what ultras do that are more point to point. But I think something um, where it's just a loop. And initially you saw a lot of criticism, but now it seems, you know, some of those people coming back and this was the right decision. Good job. So, you know, whether people are asking for their money back, um, I just liked the kind of the enveloping theme of that piece of like, we're race directors, we're people, this was not an easy decision for us. This is going to cause us, you know, financial distress. Also, some of these races may never come back to be again, because of everything that's already been spent this year, but that's not going to be made from actually the race day taking place. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, you know, if you're out there, and you're feeling frustrated that you're not getting your money back, 
maybe read the article <laughs> and reevaluate your frustration. <laughs> yeah, I agree. You know, and, and the other point he makes in here that I think is super interesting is is he makes the point that, that race directors are mostly small businesses. And if you yeah. expect the race directors to refund you or even credit you for the next race, even to say, oh, you're not going to have to pay again for if, if you come back next year, something like that, you're asking a small business to risk bankruptcy. And so, in other words, that means that, that if you're asking for the refund to come back, you might be putting the race director business out of business, and that race is never going to be able to be offered again. And so, so you're asking for the race you plan to run to never happen again. Um, and that's not something any of us wants. You know, okay, so, so would it have been nice to have actually gotten my money back from, from the Tokyo Marathon? Sure, absolutely. But I don't want the Tokyo Marathon to be canceled forthwith just so that I can get my $250 back from them. Um, you know, I'm going to be able to run it next year, and I want other people to continue to be able to run it in 2022 and 2023 and, and after that, right? Um, I certainly don't want it to be, to, be, to be canceled then on. Now, granted, the Tokyo Marathon is not the small business that a lot of these races are, but, but still, um, I do think we need to be more empathic with race directors in general and, and race directors at smaller local races uh, in particular. Yeah, it's funny when we were in that gray zone of whether Boston was going to be canceled, I was never thinking of, am I going to get my entry fee back? Hmm. You know, I was like, okay, I'm sure that the hotels you can cancel. Delta has been super generous this season. Yeah. If you just say the word flu, I mean, I had to reschedule a flight recently because my daughter was in the hospital. You just say the word flu and they're like, okay, what do you need? There's no change fee. Mm-hmm. Um, so that never really came to mind. I mean, I'm obviously thrilled that they're postponing it and not canceling it. But I think if you're out there and you've had a race canceled and you feel like your money is being wasted or down the drain, this is uh maybe we can link to this article and it might make you feel a little bit better. <laughs> right on. I agree. I agree. Very good. Final words, Michelle. Um, I don't have final words, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Stay healthy, Michelle. So I appreciate you getting with me via Skype here. I know that, uh, that, that connecting technologically is not always the best way, but, but I'm glad that we got to connect nonetheless. It's actually really comfortable to just sit on my couch and podcast. So maybe that'll be so. So yeah, maybe that'll be the the long term effect of COVID nineteen on the most pleasant exhaustion <laughs> podcast. Is that from now on, it's Skype based. Right on. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, everybody. Thanks, George. That'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and SlayRX. Don't forget to reach out to us on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. Reach out to us on Twitter, at pleasantpodcast. We're on Instagram now, at mostpleasantexhaustion. And you can download us on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, on Apple Podcasts, or on Spotify. Don't forget to reach out to our sponsors as well. ITL Coaching and Performance can be found at itlcoaching.com at ITL Coaching on Twitter, Facebook.com slash ITL Coaching and Performance, and on Instagram, ITL Coaching. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at BluePineappleTravel.com, at Facebook.com slash BluePineappleTravel, or on Instagram, BluePineappleTravel. And SlayerX can be found at SlayerX.com, at Facebook.com slash HereForSlayerX, that's the number four, HereForSlayerX, on Twitter, at OfficialSlayRx, and on Instagram, HereForSlayRx. Don't forget to use the Pleasant 2019 discount code for 10% off anything at their website. On behalf of Michelle Frank and Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. We appreciate your listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.